You talked about like the employees as an audience. If you can loop those folks in and get them excited about, you now have this like amazing critical mass of people delivering the same message as opposed to it just coming from a handful of people in a marketing department. For growth. A Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's f-ing grow. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Room for Growth. Billy Fisher is not with us today. You are stuck with me, Billy Lowen, but I am so glad you are here. Uh, We are going to shift gears just a little bit today because it is fall, which means we are doing a ton of work for clients in a certain service area that I want to talk about today. But it has also come to my attention that I have a brand problem on my hands, which is I work for Willow Tree. Most people understand that we are a digital product agency or we are a consultancy Or if you really want to like dumb it down, we're a tech company and we build tech. And what that means is I've heard that a lot of our clients and some of our listeners don't understand that we also have a huge creative agency internally, that one of the things that we are really competent at as as a consultancy and as an agency is helping our clients articulate what their brand positioning, what their messaging, what their imagery, what the look and feel should be of some of the biggest campaigns that they do every year. And that is a service area that I love. It's projects that I love to work on, whether it's putting the brand on top of a loyalty program that we helped create the structure for, we did the cost analysis for. And then you have to think of what's the iconography or what's the, you know, unique branding that's going to go with the loyalty program and how will we go to market with that? We do a lot of that. Or when brands are trying to reach a new consumer group that maybe they haven't resonated well with in the past, or they want to break through um, some of the market noise that makes them look you know, just like every other person on the block, uh, they come to us and they give us that challenge and we create unique and beautiful creative for them. We think about their audience segmentation and the experience that they'll go through to get their message to market. And we do that really well. Um, I love brand as a mechanism for how to drive growth. I think talking about how you create a resonant brand and use brand as a growth driver, how you shift, how you ensure that you stay relevant, um, when it's time to shift because, you know, part of brand is you want to be iconic. You want to be that Nike swoosh. You want to be so resonant that you have meaning in and of yourself. Um, I think it's just a really important conversation that we talk about more. I also suspect that in 2024, we are going to see some pretty major brand transitions and we're going to see brands thinking about how to remessage or reposition to be more resonant because of some of the shifts in market, because of recession, because of a lack of investment in technology. Like there's just a lot of shifts happening. So I think we're going to see more creativity. So today we have Adam to met with us. Adam, I will let you introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Long time listener, first time guest. Uh, But I am our uh, director of brand and content strategy here at Willow Tree and uh, get to do a lot of really fun stuff, including helping to work on this podcast, as well as uh, franchises like Two Weeks to Better and a lot of our written content as well. 
we're going to spend the bulk of the episode talking about the power of branding and how branding is a really critical component of driving growth for organizations large and small. How we position ourselves and the brand positioning that we have is one of the key drivers and key ways that we can really differentiate how we stand out in market, how we attract new audiences, how we drive acquisition. Um, it's something we don't talk about a ton on Room for Growth, but you will probably hear more thematically as we move into 2024, because I think thematically companies are going to take a hard look at how they're positioning and how they're reaching new younger audiences or different segments of audiences. And we're going to see a lot more growth through better brand building. There's a ton of examples that we can talk about, about where we've seen brands change how they go to market and how they position themselves and just see overnight growth or success. One of the biggest, of course, is like Dove, who was one of the first brands um, about 15, 20 years ago to start celebrating beauty beyond the standards that we were used to seeing, sort of celebrating wrinkles and stretch marks and cellulite as just part of what makes women beautiful. And by doing that, they reaped a ton of commercial and financial benefits. Uh, they have grown faster in the years since, and we see lots of other brands following in suit. And so Adam is often the creative mastermind behind thinking about how Willow Tree goes to market and reminds all of our clients and the world that we are a premium provider of digital services. Um, so that's a consistent challenge. One of the things I love, Adam, is that you are, uh, you put a lot of your bread and butter into quality. So much of the work you do, I know that you are in it kind of up to your knees. You're caring about every moment of how a video is cut or every word on a screen, every image that pops up. Uh, talk just a little bit about how you grew your talents in the branding space, what attracted you to it, where you, where you learned, um, and how you kind of cut your teeth. Sure. Um, my background is not in marketing per se. It's in fiction and filmmaking. So I've always wanted to tell stories. It never really mattered to me like what medium that story was in. It always had to be the right medium for that story. So I, I made a, a feature film in college that initially started as like a a, a piece of fiction, but it was all about music and dance and ritual and costumes. And I was like writing all of this stuff about what the costumes looked like and what the dance looked like. And my professor at the time was like, I think you just want this to be a movie. Maybe you should make it as a movie. And um, so I tried doing that. And I love telling stories. Um, I think there are a lot of really fascinating stories that exist within a company. A company is just people trying to do difficult things and sometimes succeeding and sometimes failing. But if you're still around, you're, you're probably succeeding more than failing. And those are compelling stories to tell, um, more so than just the story of like a faceless corporate entity or a, a logo. Uh, once you get to kind of the human side of things, I think it can be really really interesting and really relatable for people, even if you're not in that industry or connected to that brand per se. So then you spent a lot of time working with big corporations on how they look at their history, look at the sentiment that they have in market, look at their consumers and think about how to tell their story to the world really and truly. Yeah. My, my uh, experience before Willow Tree was at a uh, a specialty marketing, uh, content marketing firm uh, called History Factory. And we really used heritage of companies to um, to differentiate in the market and be able to tell the, the, the story of that company that would often come to us during an anniversary year or in the middle of a merger and acquisition. Sometimes it was a location change, a new office, and they wanted to kind of bring their brand 
more into either the physical space or the digital space um, and through the lens of heritage okay. and, and that sort of authenticity. So talk to me a little bit about what you see happening in market today. Uh, what are some of the trends that you see in branding? And are there brands that you think are doing a, a great job being really resonant? Um, are there things that many brands are doing consistently wrong? What's kind of your state of the state? Uh, you know, you mentioned Dove, and I think there's only so much that a marketing department can do to cover over <laughs> a uh, bad decisions by the company. or And there's yeah. so much that a marketing department can do to elevate great decisions by a company. And so like something like what Dove was doing is an amazing campaign. And it was also just a indication of that, that company doing something kind of wonderful and, and then celebrating it. And so there was this just perfect, um, unity of, of what they were doing and then how they were telling the story of what they were doing. I think on the other side, you have a lot of companies that are maybe making some bad decisions or, um, pissing people off in various ways. And then there's only so much, you know, Twitter is Twitter right now and you can't just change what Twitter is by making it X, you know, and, and calling it something different or slapping a different logo on it. Um, people, it has a bad brand reputation right now because of the decisions that they're making at the highest level. Um, you can place a bad bet on a, a, a a rebrand like Facebook going to meta because they were mm -hmm. placing this huge bet on the metaverse. And then if the metaverse doesn't work out as well, or people are sour on that, does that, does that all that work to rebrand become lost? Um, and I think the best thing that, that companies can do is just, you know, um, make wise, ethical decisions wherever possible. And then you're giving your marketing department so much yeah. fodder to work with and For, it can go the other yeah. way. I love that idea that brand has to be part of company identity, especially today. There's no longer a world where you just get to confidently put up a billboard and say, this is who we are and what we believe and have the world trust you. It really has to fit into the fabric of who you are as an organization and all of the decisions that are being made. I think that's why like Apple's brand, for instance, and their commitment to security is so clear is because every product release that they have, it's not just a CEO saying we care about your security and your safety and how your data is stored. They're making a lot of decisions that back up that claim repeatedly. So it works well as a brand campaign. But on the other hand, literally any soap brand in the world probably could have said we celebrate beauty that really was you know a research decision where dove said hey we think this would resonate and mm -hmm. it's sort of breakthrough and that's why i love brand as a growth driver you know there's only so many ways you can grow when you're a company in terms of how you drive performance results from your customer like one you can grow incrementally so you can make better campaigns that reach people in a more interesting way and cause them to pay for more or have a larger basket size or whatever that looks like in their order you can invest in, you know, obviously reaching new populations or buying new audience members to a certain level of performance. Um, you can invest in technology as an efficiency driver and capability driver for what you do. But I think brand is sort of like often forgotten about, about this thing that can really and truly like change the course of a trajectory for a company, which is why I love it and think it's interesting because to your point, it can't just be a marketing leader's job to say, here's the message we're going to say to market and we're going to do it perfectly consistently. 
there's no decisions internally and there's no alignment to those core values backing it up, it's not going to work. Um, but then I'm curious as somebody who cares a lot about brand, especially as somebody who's generally working in marketing departments, what advice do you give to marketing leaders about how to straddle those differences between what's the message we're going to put out, the level of consistency behind it, the level of quality in terms of just like the pixels on screen and the images that are chosen and the way our brands are represented versus here's the influence I'm going to have in the entire customer experience and how it's represented by the products we put to market, by supply chain, by the speed at which we ship, by what it sounds like when you call a call center. What's your wisdom? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's only so much you can do to kind of prognosticate on what's going to happen. Um, we have data, we have analytics at our disposal in a completely different way than we did in the past. So there, you can make some pretty good guesses um, compared to what we used to do. But on some level, you are, you're experimenting all the time, right? You're, you're putting something out and hoping that it resonates and something that you hope and think and have tested that you're 100% sure this is going to work. Sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you take a risk and do something that either is, you know, you're, you're trying to get to market quickly and um, take a risk. And sometimes it really works out in spades in way that like, in ways that you didn't expect. Um, I think there are certain things that marketing leaders can do to create the kind of buy-in internally. Um, and I'm a big believer in interviews. I mm -hmm. think interviews are a really, it's, it seems simple, but um, just talking to people within a, an organization, like really interviewing them and having a conversation, recording that conversation, transcribing that conversation, being able to use um, you know, direct quotes from people and in a way that says, you know, I heard this from you, you know, when I, when it comes to Willow Tree, when I first joined, I, I tried to interview all of our senior leaders and, and ask, you know, why Willow, why is this company called Willow Tree? What does that name mean to you? And heard some amazing things from, you know, the top of the organization about how for, for people it, it, it really embodies strength and wisdom and something permanent and fast growing and flexible and uh, natural. You know, it's not where we exist in this digital space and it's kind of unique and differentiated to have this physical um, natural object to, to connect to. Um, and so and I heard that pretty consistently. And then sometimes you hear things hear inconsistencies and that's important to uncover as well. But ideally, you you get that that information and those stories from the people who need to you know, thumbs up it at the end, at the end of the day. And, and so when you go to market with an idea, everyone is rallied around it. Everyone is excited. They feel like they see themselves in it and they hear them, their mm -hmm. own voice in that, in that message that's being told as opposed to, Oh, that's just something the marketing department cooked up. That's interesting to me that like the employees of a corporation should see themselves in the brand that's going to market when brand by definition isn't necessarily crafted to meet their needs. It's crafted to meet end consumer needs and really resonate there. But I like this notion that your own team needs to see themselves in it. It has to be inspiring enough to bring those organizational alignments into place as well or reinforce them. I'm curious if there's any examples where you've seen that working extremely well. Um, you know, 
in my previous job, you know, where I would serve as creative director for these large anniversary campaigns for, you know, fortune 100 companies, uh, a lot of times in the beginning when I would be talking to them, they would, they would throw out, um, words or phrases that are very much kind of corporate buzzwords. You know, we're about achieving excellence. We're about quality. We're about driving value for whoever. Um, and I would generally try and push them to say, whatever you're saying right now, could you take that theme or that tagline or that concept, that brand, and apply it to a shoe company or an airplane manufacturer or an insurance company? And could they say that exact set of words as well? And, and, and if they said, yeah, I was like, well, then I think we have, we have to go a little deeper, right? We need to get to a, a situation at the very least where it's only something that a, a company in this industry could mm -hmm. could talk about, mm -hmm. and ideally only you, right? Only this company, because of who you are, because of what you've been through over the course of however many years, something that really, it can only be you. It's unassailable in that way. Um, we did a campaign for the 100th anniversary of Booz Allen Hamilton, and that was an instance where they were, I don't know if I can say the name, but we're gonna go with it. Uh, they, their first attempt was similar kind of excellence and quality and value and, and that sort of stuff. And we got into their story. We found a handwritten note that Edwin Booz, the, the founder of Booz Allen Hamilton had written pretty much on his deathbed where someone had asked, you know, what, what are the qualities of a, a person who should work at this company? And number one, it was a list. And number one said, start with character. And mm -hmm. that became the brand for this campaign, Start With Character. And we used his handwriting and his act, the actual image of his handwriting. That is something that, you know, maybe an airplane manufacturer could, could use that idea, but it's unassailably connected to that, to that organization. Yeah, I love that idea for two reasons. One, I love that it sounds like your wisdom is if you are worried as a leader, whether your brand is resonant, maybe start with your own core values and really reflecting on them and whether they tell the story of what you're actually trying to do in a way that's differentiating. But two, take these buzzwords that anyone could say that have intangible meaning because they're things like excellence, which has a different interpretation depending on who you are, and push and poke and go a level deeper. I think that's excellent wisdom and advice to like find that nugget of an idea that's going to stand out and be different. Um, that's one of the nice things about branding is in a world where too many brands lean on the basic and the mm -hmm. it's saying something without actually saying something. That's a great way to just go one step deeper. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if this is relevant to the question, but you have, you talked about like the employees as an audience kind of, or as the, I, I see them as a huge audience, even if you're trying to speak to, you know, external audiences, that, that kind of captive audience of a hundred, a thousand, 10,000 people who, who work for you is, is I think where you always start. If you can loop those folks in and get them excited about a brand message, then they will help as brand ambassadors and brand messengers and and you you now have this like amazing critical mass of people delivering the same message as opposed to it just coming from a handful of people in a marketing department 
Yeah. But I think this is also good wisdom if you're just leading a department of a company and you're trying to find vision for them and how they mm-hmm. might align to the brand that they don't have control over. Another like great mechanism for rallying and support um, from internal, which is often the job of the leaders that we're talking to. Um, I am curious, though, from a marketing lens, one of the things that drives me a little bit crazy is when you are having a really different brand experience across channel. Mm. For instance, I don't know why, but I think Facebook is the place where brands decide they're going to put like as much text as possible Mm. on the most basic image and then like add a logo and hope for the best. Um, Whereas Instagram tends to be a little bit more transactional. TikTok tends to be obviously like an influencer selling something in the voice and tone of a generation, sometimes with a unique quality to it, but almost always just like mimicking the production and the editing style that works for that audience without anything else. Like talk to me about the things that you're seeing that drive you a little crazy now. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily mind when a brand shows up differently in different spaces like that, whether it's digital or, or, you know, traditional channels, because I think you're, probably dealing with somewhat different demographics, oh, different audiences. Yeah. People expect to see things differently on Facebook than they do on TikTok or on Instagram. And you're probably marketing to different generations across those those three, even just those three social platforms. Um, so it doesn't necessarily bother me when a brand shows up slightly differently and really like targets their message to that. I, I think it's a problem when you, when you're, when you're, mixing them up, you know, when you're, when you're, you're giving your Facebook message to the, the TikTok audience or vice versa, then you're in trouble. You're, you're, or, or doing the same thing across all Mm -hmm. producing the same kinds of visual assets and assuming that it's going to work equally well on every channel. Or then all it is, is like, uh, the Campbell's soup can where you're just seeing it everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's the same. And it's actually not unique to the channel. It's not like following how you want to experience a message there. And, and with social, it's so easy to just try things and if it doesn't work, try something else. And, and so it feels lazy when people aren't, um, showing up a little differently or, or attempting different things and just sending the same kind of boilerplate message across every channel. Maybe, maybe a branding expert, a different branding expert would say, that's not what you do. You want to have very, very consistent message. I don't, I don't know that I agree. Yeah, no, I think that's like interesting wisdom, especially as channels like influencer marketing that really and truly, I mean, they existed 20 years ago, 10 years ago, but the prominence and change and share of wallet going towards those channels and letting people who have built an inordinate following determine how they're going to tell your story in their voice as a way of resonance, um, a hugely different challenge. Yeah. And I mean, part of it, you're talking about sort of owning your own story and it's, it's always challenging when you let someone else own the narrative. Right. Um, and I think brands miss out on an opportunity. Influencer marketing maybe is just part of where we are right now and and is, is, is part of the deal. But, um, I think the more that a a brand can retain ownership over their story, you're going to get yourself in trouble less. Uh, in a world where it is really hard to be in control of your brand, given all of the different like factors, the prominence of new voices that didn't exist 10, 20, 30 years ago, what is some of your advice for how marketing leaders can control their own brand? Um, yeah, I think 
it certainly depends on what kind of organization we're talking about, whether it's B2C or B2B. We are, you know, a, a B2B professional services company. And I think for me in marketing, one of the occasionally difficult things is not being able to talk about a lot of our client work mm-hmm. um, for various reasons. It could be the way that the contract is structured. It could be because they see us as a competitive advantage and they don't want to give away who they're working with. Uh, it could be because of certain regulatory frameworks having to do with financial services or healthcare, any number of reasons. But um, then you also, you know, before Coming to Willow Tree, I worked on the client side for 13 years, and I know how many stakeholders there can be, how many different rounds of review and changing the narrative. So one way that we've kind of gotten around that at Willow Tree is developing a content franchise like Two Weeks to Better. Um, Two Weeks to Better is a a video docu-series that we do where we take a team of... um, Willow Tree practitioners and give them kind of a two-week sprint to look at a particular industry and come up with some digital tools that could improve something, make it better. Um, It's something that we are doing completely in-house in our own locations with our own people. We just did an episode with with Billy and and your team, the growth marketing team, uh, partnering with Braze to look at sports media, the sports media landscape. And we have some amazing sports media clients um, that we can't always talk about, right? So we uh, did this work kind of on spec and we're able to to capture it and, and talk to the actual practitioners and hear that authenticity and that kind of personal storytelling from individuals. Uh, We're able to create our own concepts that we're able to show and and explore and pick apart and and talk about in in whatever way makes sense for us. And it's um, a way that we have tried to kind of own a narrative without always talking about client work. And I love it because it really demystifies like clients. Often their question is, what's it going to feel like to work with you? Uh, We are not typically the most inexpensive agency that they are choosing between. We are typically one that's promising them the best results and the highest quality. And that comes at a price. So being able to demystify, here's what it's going to feel like to work with us um, is, I think, great. But then it also helps show some of our core values. We believe in being really fast. We believe in surfacing better ideas than Mm -hmm. competitors. And you see that happen just by... The autonomy. Yeah, the autonomy Mm -hmm. that we give in the process of filming this Mm -hmm. video series. So how have you thought about what a brand even is? Yeah, I, um, I think for me, brand comes down to substance and authenticity and something personal right like mm-hmm. we think of brand as as like a logo like that is what a brand is something branded is a you know we think of it in terms of these very kind of like corporate images um i do think it's it's how you show up visually it's how you show up in terms of messaging and storytelling it's how your people show up are you <laughs> are you using stock photos all the time that you got from you know, from some site or you're using shots of your actual employees and customers. Um, it's the decisions that, that you make as an organization and how that plays out across channels. Um, the reputation that you have, I think it's all of those things and any one of them could kind of sink it, you know? Um, but I think ideally all of it's playing really well together and it all feels really authentic. It all feels like, oh, this I'm not just looking at a site that was created by AI with AI generated, you know, or, or stock photos. It's 
these are the people who work at this company. These are the customers. This is something, you know, that a human wrote and, um, and, and it feels like, I think that's what creates that affinity. Yeah. You just teased it. So we might as well dive right into it. But AI, I think has some interesting potential rewards, opportunities, as well as challenges and risks for brands who choose to start creating content at scale leveraging AI. I think for many brands, this could be a huge accelerator in terms of how they go to market or how they help people find the information about that brand or the experience they're looking for much more quickly. And then on the other hand, as always, there will be some kind of pendulum swing and correction where people are really looking for that like human crafted, human created visual experience uh, at its core. I'm curious where do you see risk and reward and what advice do you give to businesses who are grappling with how AI might shift their brand? In terms of reward, I think, you know, we've talked about this uh, on the podcast and elsewhere, but I, I think in terms of reward, it can certainly speed up certain tasks that would be otherwise um, annoying and, yeah. and, and just time consuming and not particularly like enriching to anyone. Uh, for instance, I mentioned uh, interviews, right? Interviewing people is, I think, a really powerful thing. I don't particularly want to transcribe all those interviews myself, you know, and, and painstakingly listen to it and type it out. I did. Tra it was one of my first jobs out of college. It's not fun. Um, uh, I love that AI that I can take an audio recording, plug it into a platform, have AI transcribe that and then take that transcription and bring that into an AI platform like ChatGPT and have it, you know, summarize that for me and pull out some of the most compelling elements of it. Um, I think that's a great way to use it. I think that's, we're talking about sort of the backend workflow of how to speed up a process like that, as opposed to now I'm going to have AI create all of the public facing content mm -hmm. and it might not have that context of the interviews that I've done and let's bring someone's voice into this and make it feel like something that, you know, I had this conversation with Billy, who's an expert here and you feel like this piece of content is coming from Billy as opposed to coming from chat GPT. I think visually it's the same thing. We, we can, we can look at bad stock photography from mm -hmm. a few years ago and it seems like really silly now, you know, the, extreme three-point lighting and like, you know, people all wearing the same thing and like with mugs and <laughs> thumbs up and it just looks silly, but there's good stock. There's yeah. good stock photography, you know, film supply and some of these stock houses where you can get, you know, actually crafted imagery that feels like a human took yeah. some care with it. And it, it, it's, it's a different level. Um, or you can have, you know, someone actually take photos of your people. Totally. And so there's different levels there. And I think we're going to see the same thing with AI where it's going to become really obvious in a couple of years or even sooner. This is something, this is just bland, mm -hmm. superficial crap. And I can read a paragraph of it and know that it's created by AI. And I, I don't know that I'm going to get a whole lot of value out of it or anything personal from this company. And I'm going to stop reading. And I think people are going to develop a muscle for how to, suss that out yeah well some people will some then people will become like the olive garden of branding and olive garden of web content yeah totally and there's a you know there's a need there's a there's a use case for just generating lots of stuff and 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 getting stuff on your site and maybe you know building a foundation there i, I don't want to knock yeah, it completely exist within the lanes is like the job to be done yeah but i think the authenticity is a good key 
I wonder to that point, though, if there could be a positive impact on people's ability to spot um, sort of content and imagery on social media that has been critiqued recently, but for the entire existence of social media, where there's just such an inappropriate standard of beauty that's not human mm -hmm. like you look at most instagram photos especially of women but men as well and skin doesn't even look like skin anymore it's mm -hmm. been like so airbrushed but it's easy to mistake reality mm -hmm. with what has been orchestrated and doctored to look real mm -hmm. i wonder if the advent of ai will make people more aware of real versus not real in a way mm -hmm. that might have a positive impact or a reduction in this like over um, over editing of beauty standards potentially. Yeah. So one of my projects at my previous company was doing the 20th anniversary of Photoshop. And, um, I see certain parallels with the advent of Photoshop at the time. There was all the fear around like, well, what is this going to do? What is this going to do to all of the like typical, you know, the dark room and the way people are used to creating photos and <laughs> what um, will photoshop do to the dark room? Yeah, there was a lot of backlash against you know from photo purists and um and and artists and graphic designers and you know this is going to ruin yeah, everything journalists well, for sure and in some ways it did right like there are ways yeah. th there were a lot of ways that it skewed reality and there's a whole bunch of stories and you know millions of of sort of horror show photos of of models being you know airbrushed to these disgusting lengths and um all of that is true and it's also true that photoshop opened up as a tool for artists a whole different way of of creating visuals yeah, yeah. um a lot of the movies we watch now would not be possible without photoshop and and the tools like that and so i i'm hopeful that artists will take some of these AI tools and figure out how to combine them in interesting ways. And I say artists in like a, a broad sense, you can be a, an artist in terms of how you approach any job. Um, and I could see ways in which these tools can be combined or, you know, um, manipulated in an interesting way to create something that we just haven't seen before that opens us up in a way, in an, in an exciting way. So, um, Adam, as always, you are no exception, even though you do help produce this podcast. You now have to end by telling me mm. which brands you are most loyal to, because at the end of the day, the thing we care most about is how you can build exceptional experiences that drive true loyalty to a brand. So now I yeah. must know, who do you love and why? Trying to think. I, you know... Some brands that come to mind are, uh, I really like Enterprise Rent-A-Car because they've like saved my butt a few times and like, yeah. they're always like really nice and, and, and helpful. And I've had bad experiences in, in a lot of other rental car or organizations. Their career training and yep. nothing is insane. Yeah. They, they, it feels like everyone's your buddy. When totally. you go to the That's counter, like literally who they hire, they're like frat presidents. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And it, it kind of works for them. Um, I don't know why that came to mind first. That's really, I hadn't thought about this, even though I'd <laughs> done this podcast. Like delightful UX. Like I just had yeah. to rent a car yeah. and like their process of like buying the car, getting ready to be at the counter was super easy. I have to come up with like a cooler 
Yeah, Robert, that, was pretty, that. that was that pretty, was pretty, pretty I, I will say Alamo uh, Drafthouse draft is another one that like, if I'm going to go, I love going to the movies. And if it's like such a, a wonderful, like indulgent experience, I have two kids and I don't get to do this very often. If I go, I'm going to like, I really want to want to just enjoy it. And I feel like they have it very dialed in uh, as a movie going experience. It just feels really special and fun and like both like nostalgic and and cheeky and like it's just it's a blast every time i love alamo draft house for a while i was doing that like every monday i was going there it's for like amazing. Night. it was the best way to start the week that sounds great i would love to do that i don't get to do it as often as that but it sounds great well adam thank you for being here thank you for Thanks sharing for having wisdom. me thank you for letting me drag you from behind the camera to in front of the camera to share some of your tips um, but your work speaks for itself and your wisdom speaks for itself. So well, thank you, Billy. Here. To our listeners, thanks for being here as well. We will catch you next week.